Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. I'm sure by now you are aware that we are back to phase two heightened alert, which means that all that gain that we had when we hit phase three and the gain that we're hoping to have when we got out of heightened alert is now over. We are back to no dining out. We are back to visiting only two persons, two guests allowed at a house each time. We are back to no more live worship leading in church. No more gatherings. And it's so frustrating. I mean, we were just, our family was just planning to celebrate our daughter's birthday in some nice restaurant, but that's no go. We were thinking having plans to reopen church a little at a time, but no go. Many of you were thinking of gathering as friends, and that's not possible again. And we think to ourselves very disappointedly, here we go again, back to the old way. It's very, very disappointing. And yet there was something that we learned from the past few chapters of Paul's tribulations. It is that of waiting. That large part of life is just the discomfort of waiting. Not just waiting, but waiting under very uncomfortable circumstances. Notice how the writer and the ex put so much, invested so many chapters on Paul's arrival, return to Jerusalem, his trials, his frustrations, his waiting again and again. The boat journey never had Luke in other parts of Acts described in such detail the hardships that Paul endured from travelling in a boat that had no wind and therefore left uh, caused so much delay to storms, to shipwreck and all the time waiting, waiting under very uncomfortable circumstances. And if there's one thing that we can learn from this, is that we need to be very present in the time of waiting. You see, often as we wait, we either get in despair and we give up, or we look forward to a time when everything will be normal and we can't wait for that. And it's good, it's good to have something to look forward to. But it's also important to be present at the moment because this is is the moment that God is at work. We learn how Paul was very present. He, He heard God. He was alert to his circumstances. He was in no hurry and therefore he had perspective. He saw the dangers when everyone else was in a hurry to just make it to the next destination. But Paul wasn't. He was present at the moment. And so as we go through this repeat of phase two heightened alert, while we feel very frustrated inside and perhaps angry and disappointed and crestfallen and everything else, perhaps one of the things we can continue to do is to be very present. Present with what we have today and now. You know, some of the things that we managed to gain from not being allowed to eat out, was our family learned to cook better meals, cook together, and cooking became a highlight of the day. It was great fun. We experimented with different foods, but most of all, we bonded because we cooked together. But being silent, waiting, 
allows God to work with us as well. I know some of you haven't gone to church, not because you're afraid of the dangers, but simply because well, we're not allowed to sing, so why don't we wait until we can sing properly, not just the worship leader singing, but all of us allowed to sing together. Why don't we wait till we can go out for meals together? Yes, all that is valid. And there's nothing wrong in watching the worship, joining in the worship online. But have you thought that perhaps it is there's so much richness in gathering as a congregation, even if it's a 50-person congregation with no singing allowed and maybe even no live worship allowed, that there is a beauty, a great a goodness in meeting together even when we can't talk after that. Because the sense of worshipping together, of being present with one another, is a blessing to us. And we can also learn about worshipping without singing. Come this Sunday, Paul will tell us different ways of worshipping God silently. That in the silence, we can raise our hearts, lift our hearts to the Lord, together as a congregation and worship. And perhaps in a physical congregation, then there is more, more a deeper beauty than doing it online. Sure, by all means, if you wish to do online. But perhaps you would want to try coming to church and worshipping together even when you can't sing. Because there is a presence of God that you experience as we worship. Well, that's one thing. What about being cooped up? at home. Perhaps then that is really uncomfortable. But we could ask God to show us ways where He will speak to us in our present state, in our waiting state. How do we not how do we know that this is not God's way of getting us to be prepared to draw close to Him, to draw close to each other even when it's difficult. You see, a lot of resilience, a lot of determination is built when we don't have the best of things. And if we can find ways out in terms of ministering to each other, of growing in the Lord in the most adverse of situations, then we will really flourish when the circumstances improve. But if we were just to wait for circumstances to improve without looking at what is present, then we lose a lot and by the time we start, everything goes back to normal. We also roll back to normal, which is really quite subnormal. Perhaps it is at times like these that we learn what it means to care for each other even when we can't meet together. When we learn how to draw close to God when we can't do so many things. Perhaps these are opportunities that God provides for us in terms, in hardships, in inconveniences, that we draw close to Him. You know, it's funny how I learned to wait on the best times. I started going to death row when I was in my late 20s, I think. Yeah, yeah, about late 20s. And in those days, um, old Changi prison was very primitive, was all manual. And death row was in the heart of the prison which meant that there were many, many gates. I think there were something like five gates into death row. And each guard had only a key to one gate. That was their way of security. So that if a guard 
plate punk, he could only open one gate, and the prisoners could not escape. But the problem was going in, because there would be the first guard would open the gate and you go in to the next level, and then you wait for another guard to come. Problem is that the guards are always very busy and no one, usually no one would be bothered to go and get the key just to open the gate for one volunteer to walk in. And it was so, un it was so common for me to wait at least an hour and on many occasions, two hours, just to get into the counselling place, into death row. What do you do with two hours of standing? You can't even sit, because you're just moving from one, deep, one section of the prison to the next. A friend of mine gave me a Walkman. Those my age would know what a Walkman is. It's like a, uh, what we do with a handphone, with Spotify and all. It was just a music device, music machine. He forgot that you can't bring all these things into prison. And all I had was a Bible. But imagine two hours or an hour and a half, just the Bible and God. It became such a blessing that I actually look forward to God's not coming. I mean, it's like, okay, take your time, take your time. I still have time to talk to God. And waiting for an hour and a half to two hours became such a joy for me. Because those were the moments when I knew God and when I connected with God. You know, there's so many opp times or opportunities, so-called, where we have to wait. I mean, often we complain, right? We have to wait for our spouses when they go shopping. We have to wait in the car for them to finish, to, to be picked up. And those are times when we get really impatient. We wait for people, and that's an agony waiting for people. But have we thought that perhaps these were, even these were engineered by God? That gives us time to pause, gives us time to be still for God to speak to us, to minister to us, to be present with us. Waiting in our day is one of the worst things that could happen to us. But maybe waiting is a blessing and gift from God. God constantly asked His people to wait. And it wasn't just so that He could test our patience, but was to wait because the wait itself was preparation for receiving the gift. Wait itself was part of the gift. And so as we wait for COVID to be lifted, COVID restrictions to be lifted, perhaps it's good to ask ourselves, ask God, more importantly, in this time of waiting, how are you blessing me, O God? How are you making my life richer and fuller and stronger and more resilient? How are you drawing me close, closer to yourself and to others? Because I acknowledge that this time of waiting is a gift from you. Okay, so this is a long introduction, but I also encourage you to sign up for Sunday. Um, last Sunday, we were oversubscribed. I know of a number of people who couldn't get in to sign. And here's a reminder again, if you have signed up and you last minute decide that you can't discover that you can't come, please cancel your reservation. Because last week we only had 45 persons turn up when 50 signed up. And as I said, a number of people wanted to sign up but couldn't because they were late. So if you're cancelling, if you're not turning up, please remember to cancel. And if you wish to come, please 
book early as well. Um, this Sunday, we have a friend of mine, a lady called Christina Zeng. And Christina specializes in inner healing, emotional healing. I know many of us carry a whole load of, a whole weight of pain in our lives. And if that's the case, do come and join us on site. But if you can't come on site, then still join us online. Because I believe that this Sunday's message will be, once again, a blessing to many of you. Okay, so long, long introduction. Now for the passage. Title is The Shipwreck. And it's, I'm reading from Acts chapter 27, verse 27 to 44. Acts 27, verse 27 to 44. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us once again. That your word, like a mirror, may reflect our lives. And perhaps, Lord, it will show our lives to be the selfish, sinful lives that we really are. If that is the case, Lord, show us too. But show us a way out as well, that we may turn to you to transform our hearts, because we can't do it ourselves. But even as you reveal truths about our lives and our hearts, then, Lord, work a miracle in us, that we may be transformed. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 27, 27. On the fourteenth night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was a hundred and twenty feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was ninety feet deep, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks. They dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, You have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After this, after he had said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were there to get there on planks on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again today, I want to deal with a very difficult issue 
and it will bring more questions to ask than answers. And perhaps more uncomfortably, it will force us to see the uncomfortable truth of what we are. And I want to talk about class distinctions. On the surface, we say that there is no class distinctions. We are all the same under God, loved by God. We also say that we are not racist. We are democratic people, respecting the dignity of everyone. But often that is true only when things are going well. But when things go rough, when there is a need for self-preservation, when there are limited resources, and we each need to fight for ours. Then we see how clearly class distinctions rear its ugly head. In this passage, we see class distinctions coming out. Well, they were all in the same boat as we could see. And yet, when the ship was about to run aground, the sailors decided that they were one class, a class different and more deserving of life than all the others. And so they cut the lifeboats, planning to jump into the boat, lifeboats, and sail away and paddle away and allow the ship to run aground and be destroyed. Paul found that out and told the soldiers, look, if these sailors run away, you guys have no sailors anymore, you will all die. And so the, sail so the soldiers and the centurions being wise cut the lifeboats and got rid of them so that the sailors had to stay in the boat with them. But that wasn't the only class distinction. The next class distinction we see was between that of the prisoners and everyone else. As the boat hit the ground, hit the shore, and everyone had a chance to swim ashore and be saved, the soldiers decided that they should kill all the prisoners lest any prisoner escape. Here was another class, a dispensable class. And perhaps it made sense because you wouldn't want criminals to be running around. But they were seen as a class that deserved death, deserved less of life than all the others. And once again, God intervened. But here we also see God's sense of us all being one and equal and all deserving to live. First of all, we see that Paul urged them all to eat, not just the centurions, not just one group of privileged people, but everyone to take food. And then he assured them that not a single hair would be damaged from any head. There was again no distinction. Everyone ate together. And what was more telling is that in verse 37, it says, Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. It was not classed into there was this group of high-class people and this group of soldiers and this group of centurions who were superior to the soldiers and then the sailors and last of all, the prisoners. No, there was no class distinction at all. There were just 276 of us on board. And then... In the last verse, in verse 44, it says that in this way, everyone reached land safely. Because God caused the centurion to have favour on Paul and to save Paul's life, everyone, every prisoner, every sailor, every centurion, and maybe every tradesman who was on this, bought this boat, everyone was saved. 
God's desire is that there be no class distinction. But you see, the problem is that we live in a world where resources are scarce. And when resources are scarce, we clamour to be the ones who will get those resources. And when we do that, there is always class distinction. I don't know how we're going to solve this, but first we must recognise this. We must recognise the privileges that we claim for ourselves. But even as we recognise the privileges that we claim for ourselves, perhaps one way then is to know that that is the truth, but also then to, to, to realise for ourselves that we were created and called as Christians to be servants of all. That if we have a university degree, if we have high qualifications, if we have opportunities for high-ranking jobs, if we have greater opportunities for others, that there is a stewardship, a genuine stewardship, not just a little perfunctory thing like, okay, la, you want me to give a little of my money to the poor, let me give, but the realisation that we are where we are for a purpose for the others. That if you were a superior and a boss in a big company, or if you were high up in management, that your duty is also to the least in your organisation. That they are not dispensable people where, where the bosses get the huge profits and everyone else is underpaid. Sometimes we feel we deserve it, and yet do we really? Or would we then look for the little, the small man, the little person, and see that it is our duty to protect them. Because in God's eyes, everyone is important. I wish that more of us, including myself, I wish that I would too have that moral courage. And often when we were younger, we did. I remember my daughter Kim when she was in secondary school. And in Sec 4, they had the prom. And they had nine persons to the table. They were allowed ten, of course. And there was a very unpopular girl who, whom no one wanted on the table. Kim wanted her on the table and at their table then, since they only had nine. And fortunately, two or three of her friends also wanted it. But the rest of the friends refused to have this girl sit at the table. At the end of all the bargaining and pleading, Kim said to the, the, her friends, if she doesn't come on the table, neither do I. This, of course, came as a shock to the other friends and they started scrambling to negotiate again. Finally, they came to a very good solution that those who wanted her could sit on either side of her and those who didn't want her could sit, well, a bit further. I mean, table for 10 is a big table. They didn't have to sit next to her. And so they reached a compromise. But what I saw then was moral courage that says, if you do not take this person, neither will you take me. When we think about friends or colleagues, especially in school, the university, in the colleges that we go to, when we think about people in the congregation, people at your workplace, are there people that are less popular, the outcasts? Are there people that will be left out because no one wants to go near them for various reasons. Can we also feel that they are part of us? Because in God's economy, and as we read in this passage, 
There were 276 of all of us on board. Everyone is counted. We are all in the same boat. And could we then begin to see that this is the call of God for us? That every person is important and none should be left out. Of course, it takes a long time and a lot of effort, a lot of sacrifice to make that come to reality. I mean, there are so many times when we really don't know how to do it, like foreign workers who are kept under different conditions from us. I'm not sure how we can solve that problem. And perhaps we trust the government, but we could also come up with ideas and then put our hands to the plough as well. How then do we treat each person as part of us? We start, of course, with our household, with the people who work under us, in our companies, in our firms, in our organisations. We do what we can. But we need to allow this Word of God to be a mirror to our souls, to reveal to us our class distinctions and our sense of wanting privilege above others and to realize that privilege is not really a privilege but it's a bounden duty for us to be servants of those who don't have the privilege to live our lives in that way i want to encourage especially young people who are starting on your careers that where you are now it's not for you to amass all the advantages and all the privileges that you claim for yourselves Rather, it is a call to stewardship. That you are given the degrees, the qualifications, the privileges that you have so that you could serve others with all these privileges. Shall we pray? Father, even at this very difficult time of waiting again, for some it is inconvenience. For others, it is dire like a business that may be lost, like a job that may, they may lose because of this problem, this, these COVID restrictions once again. We pray, Lord, that you cause us to be still and to wait upon you. We pray, Lord, that you will speak to us at these times, that we may see that even in the most uncomfortable waits, the most painful anxious times of waiting. These are the times when you speak to us, you minister to us, you transform us. That we may learn to wait and discover the blessings in that wait. But we pray today too that you will shine, you will place that mirror before us. That we may see that how we have drawn distinctions. That we might gather privileges for ourselves and then Lord remind us that these are not for ourselves but that we are stewards for those who do not have Father it's a hard lesson for us because there's so much that we need to surrender to live that way day by day Lord teach us we ask in Jesus name Amen well then Thank you and God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye.